welcome to another episode of the Path Podcast with Tawny, Nathan, and Ock, where we invite you to come hang out in one of the best bike shops around and enjoy the banter. Compliments of the Path Bike Shop in Tustin and Tribugo Canyon, California. Hey guys, Nathan here, Tawny and Ock. And Tawny here saying hello to Ock and Nathan. <laughs> it's always good to be here, guys. Bidness as usual today. The best kind of business. <laughs> I like my business usual. <laughs> regular, too? Business is regular? Can we say that? Just um, not green. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. I was. I almost got baited into talking about what consistency it should be, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Nice. And another shop news. News it away. We are having a NICA team night at our Tustin shop on November 21st from 4.30 to 7. What that means is anyone who's in NICA or anyone who's a NICA athlete is welcome to come to that. It's it's actually designed for a few of the NICA teams that we sponsor that run our logo on their jerseys and everything. But we're inviting all NICA athletes to come participate. There will be refreshments and um, really good pricing for NICA athletes, like really good, like better than a sale. Mm-hmm. Other news. Tustin Shop is currently able to perform same-day and next-day service on most repairs. Oh, maybe I'll take my bikes in. You should. <laughs> it's a good time to get your suspension serviced or any of those kind of nagging maintenance-type issues. Mm-hmm. It's also a good time to come take advantage of a free estimate and find out the ways in which your bike could be feeling better that maybe you haven't noticed, but you would notice once it's feeling better. Or your bike would notice in the long run or something. <laughs> Maybe like an, a lengthened uh, custom DPS shock. Or that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it it's, is. is that the frog in the frying pan uh, syndrome? Whereas your bike degrades in performance, you just kind of get used to it. <laughs> I would say for sure on – I would say for sure for most, most kind of not super tuned in riders who don't do their own maintenance, that's true on – Cable and housing deteriorate like friction uh, building up, and also on fork friction building up. Yeah, to to where most times, you know, a classic story is the rider comes in, they're like, "Hey, I just want my brake adjustment." It's like no problem. We put their bike in the stand, we go to shift it, and like it hurts your thumb to shift it. You tell them, you know, I think your shifting would be a lot smoother and better with new cable and housing, and they say, "I just got a new cable and housing." And you look at their records, and it was 18 months ago. And then you tell them that, and then they let you replace the cable and housing, and then they come pick it up, and they're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is, and same with fork services a lot of the time. You can really tell the difference. Yeah. Is that like the frog in the frying pan? Frog in the frying pan? That's what Nathan said. He did say that. Or no, frog in the – Did I say something different? I sometimes do. I think it's, fr- I think it's frog in a – Boiling pot boiling of water. Boiling pot of water. Did I say frog in the frying but pan? But Nathan's not a it's professional okay. chef. You know, that's Nathan true. Nathan didn't know how to cook the frog. It's you know, all right. I mean, I if, you did it. Put it in, if you did put the frog in the frying pan straight on the stove and then turn the frying pan on? That's kind of, uh, that's the yeah, process. Okay, I got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. I got cold, it. Cold pan to start. You're right. I cold, got it. Cold okay, pan got it. Low heat. Correct. Big, big pan. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Fair. Fair. <laughs> I like that. Maybe Nathan does know how to cook frog. He does. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody cooks frog their own way. <laughs> their own way. 
uh, Santa Cruz intense demo day at Live Oak on November 24th, and Aaron Gwynn's going to go on the on the shop ride and hang out and sign some stuff. Wait, you said Santa Cruz demo? Santa Cruz and, and intense and double intense. header. Okay. That's a double header. I was like, is there something I don't know? Man, maybe you can get some syndicate writers there. <laughs> Big sh- a showdown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, would, it, would it be like a West Side Story dance-off? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that would be incredible. You guys should be World Cup downhill racers, so stuff like that could actually happen. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, that would so make my day. <laughs> Who would be the Jets? <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, right? Well, you'd have the syndicate, but is there enough guys on the intent? Steber would have to step in and, stand, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah, righty. <laughs> <laughs> More news? Yes. December 7th, we've mentioned this before, but Bear is mentioning it in, again, San Diego Oaks Trail Workday. You can sign up for that with Share. And there's also a, sh- a Share Trail Workday on November 23rd. They're going to work on Ticketron in El Moro. And the non-dot skills clinic that was going to be on November 23rd got canceled and it's going to be rescheduled for late winter, early spring. And I believe we have a Scott demo this weekend at our testing shop. I don't know if this oh, is going yeah. to be up early enough for that. Check Can out I, website I'll, if you're hearing that. I'm going to throw up the flag. Go try the ransom. I think it's cool. Mm. Yeah, Nathan loves the Ransom, and he's not the first person. I mean, a lot of people who have demoed the Ransom are really impressed. Yeah. The downside is it does have a higher bottom bracket. Be aware. Higher but, than what, though? Uh, I, th- I think I was talking to Ock, and yeah. he was looking at the rain, and it's, it's higher than the rain. Okay. I think it's 13.6 or something like that in inches. Yeah, I was looking at the drop. Yeah, that's true, from the drop. So... It has more rear travel than the rain by 13 millimeters. So we take a third of that and just say it's got about four or five millimeters to give. And then how do we do it? 23 millimeters. Ooh, that's ta- yeah. that's nosebleeds. 170 to 147, right? That's the nosebleeds. Yeah, it's tw- 23. Does it have two height settings? Uh, the ransom? To Does it have a bot- like an adjustable right. height, ride height? Yeah, it has a it has a switch, like a... Flip chip. But this is the low setting. It's 23 millimeters taller than the rain. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. 23 millimeters longer travel. Oh, oh. So we have even more to give. Yeah, yeah. You just did the math wrong. Yeah. The arithmetic. Yeah. So we have even more to give. So a third of 23 millimeters is like almost 8 millimeters. Right. Confirming that the rain has 147, right? Correct. That sounds right. Okay, yeah. yeah, Then it's 23 millimeters delta. Okay. I haven't found it yet. Sorry. I thought the ransom the ransom was one sixty, right? One seventy, one seventy. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, I didn't do the arithmetic wrong. I had the travel wrong on the ransom. Fair enough. Which is still an error on my part, and I concede. <laughs> ah, that's all right. I mean, I haven't checked that you're right, but I believe you. <laughs> I it's really big it. of you, Tony, to concede an error. It feels it feels less. <laughs> but you don't have to beat me up on this. Often. <laughs> Sorry, it's really hard for me to do that. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I actually consider, well, I, I won't digress too much. No, do it. Uh, I, I'll f- resume shop news after we have um, geometry of ransom. Be, because of my obsession with seat tube angle, I was considering getting an angle set for it and then putting it in the high position because mm-hmm. it's got a flip chip. So it's deep in the seat angle, but then right. compensate the head angle. Yeah. 
So and I, drop the bottom bracket back down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to do the math. It it probably won't be it probably won't be equal on the bottom no, bracket drop, no, no, it but it would uh, balance out the head tube change. Have you figured out the what's the difference in bottom bracket height is or is that even what you're looking at? Yeah, I am actually. And I'm still working While on While Hawk is looking at that, I'm going to mention a couple other newsworthy, noteworthy things. Um, we're recording on Wednesday night. What? The 13th. And on Friday the 15th, we're going to mark a bunch of Santa Cruz's that we have in stock. 2019's down to 30% off retail because the map policy is changing. And that's just what we're going to have to do to keep up with other retailers. But wow. it's exciting for those who want to get a good deal on like a 2019 high tower or some other model. Like did, did the map change on just 2019s or 2020s? And not even on all 2019s, just on cert, on mm-hmm. like eight of them. 20, wheel size specific or? Uh, it's the ones that, it, so it's not mega tower. Right. Okay. Mainly it's not mega tower. Not, like what about main, high tower? Hightower, it's especially it, – because oh. Hightower, the 2019, is still a high link and the 2020 oh. is a low link. So like Hightower is a prime example of what would be 30% off. Right, but the Mega Tower – it's a different frame. The Mega Tower is kind of a 2020 bike, but it was released They're early. Really, even though we are calling some Mega Towers 2019s and they might have like a 2019 suspension fork on them or something, they're really 2020 bikes. It's the yeah. same frame as the 2020, even the color. Yeah, yeah, okay. And mostly the spec too. yeah. We also have a bunch of 2019 demo bikes that we're putting on sale. Other new, there's another kind of thing I want to tease out there, which is, you know, we're closed on Thanksgiving and we're closed on Black Friday. And customers have been asking if we're going to have a Black Friday sale. We've been a little uncertain, but we're going to have a not Black Friday sale because mm-hmm, we're nice. not open Black Friday or a get outside and shred sale maybe. Yeah or whatever we're going to call it, but it's going to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday. And it's going to, we're going to be really focused on finding stuff that's been in the shop for more than about six months and selling it for a ridiculous price. So that's going to be the focus of the not black Friday got out and shred sale. Yeah. Check us, check that out the week of Thanksgiving, but not on Thanksgiving or the day after it. Yeah. I think, that's all my news. Cool. That I'm allowed to talk about. <laughs> so we're saying that it's got about eight millimeters of drop to give. Yes. Ah, they're they're spot on then. Yeah. Oh, I've okay. been finding yeah. that I think a lot of manufacturers are running the same kind of very close to the same sagged bottom bracket height on these long travel enduro twenty ers Yeah. Hmm. Except for Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz is lower. By about four or five millimeters than the giant or the... To be lower by four or five millimeters static and have... 13 millimeters millimeters of of drop. Which is what the Mega Tower has over the range of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Because that really, you know, you add add some to that. Yeah. Interesting. There is one more piece of news. Man, that's like... Go. Say it. That's like eight millimeters more of sag drop. Yeah, it's a lot. Santa Cruz has always run low. It's one of the things that really makes them good for me. Yeah. It's also one of the things that make them feel – I think some people describe Santa Cruz as, as less poppy or playful, and I think that's part a big part of the equation. Mm. That along with like kind of a plush feel through the mid-struck sometimes compared to some brands. 
One more piece of news. I'm leading an intermediate enduro ride this Sunday in Laguna. Meet at the Willow parking lot at nine. We'll be doing two to three climbs and two to three descents. The climbs will be at a pretty mellow pace and we'll be seeking out kind of some of the more technical on menu trails in Laguna. <laughs> nice caveat. I like that. When is that again? That's this Sunday, Sunday, 1117. Meet nice. at Willow parking lot at nine. Willow parking. I'm oh, kind yeah, of thinking yeah. we'll probably, probably start by climbing stair steps and, and descending car wreck. And then at that point, it'll be time to decide if we're doing two climbs or three climbs. Because if we're doing yeah. two, it'll be time to go back up something and come down probably stair steps. Pro tip, often the the Willow lot and even the uh, Nick's lot is packed. This is really applicable for locals. The Dilly lot, which is a hiker trail access only, but it's really only is like across the street. From often Nick's. you can get parking in the Dilly lot very yep. easily and just and pedal I, over. There are some kind of sneaker spots on the 133 where you can park and pedal over to yeah. the Willow parking lot as well. What about right across from the Willow parking lot? I think there's no parking signs there as of now, last time I checked, but like... I don't know. People park there, but I don't know if it's like... That's what I kept thinking. Yeah. There's definitely a spot kind of towards the ocean from there before the U-Haul. Where there's an yeah. there's a begin no parking sign and it's and I would assume that behind that it's not no parking. Yeah, and yeah. I mean that I feel like if I got a ticket behind a sign that says begin no parking, I would be able to contest that. Show a picture of how yeah. I was parked behind the sign that says the no parking begins in front of the sign. Correct. Yeah. If you're down for paying though, that dilly lots of it is. You so, and I have parked there. Yeah, it's usually half full at best. And you know what? The 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 sideways dirty looks you get from the rangers as you pull in there with your bike and start hopping on your bike to ride in the parking lot. Yeah. It's worth the price of admission. It's kind of fun. You, you, are, you like sideways looks. I kind of do. Lot, Especially too. when you're on the right side of a bad assumption. Correct. When you were raised weird, the sideways looks cut a little deeper maybe. Uh, <laughs> Uh, any other news? I think that's it. Do you guys want to hear my sh- silly shred signaling story? For yes. sure. So uh, this weekend there was that uh, enduro event or charity event called Dia de los Enduros, mm. and uh, I'm I'm particular about races. It was kind of like kind of a race, but kind of not a race. Anyway, I, I was a little disappointed at how not racy the unofficial <laughs> race was. And uh, the way they were going to format it was these big groups would go, you know, you'd have a ride leader and a big group would follow out. And uh, so I contacted a friend of mine who kind of has another friend that knows the area and knew what trails were supposedly going to be part of the timed sequence. Um, And it was good. They were in Ustrava and like add up the times or something like that. So we went out, um, decided, hey, we're going to do our own thing. And it was going to be five ups and downs, and we had plans to do more, which we did. Uh, at one point, we were up on a ridge, and the event had kind of gotten underway, and there were groups of maybe 20, 30 people kind of heading off in other directions. We were up on this ridge, and we realized we had to get down one of the trails uh, that they were doing to to loop us up. Otherwise, we had to kind of drop off the ridge, go climb up to another ridge. Ah, oh, man. 
I'm looking over at the peak and there's a big gaggle of guys. I'm like thinking to myself, hey guys, they're just waiting. It's like, let's just go. And uh, so we go crank it. And the two guys I, I, I was riding with, both of them are expert cross-country racers. Uh, it was everything I had to keep up with the climbing. I was, I was given it. I had drink mix in the bladder. I, I was ready to play that day. Um, I was on my light bike and doing everything I could to keep up with them. So we just went by. Your light bike being? My, my Scott Ransom with light tires. So overbiked. <laughs> so overbiked for a light bike, I know. 170, 170. 170, 170. Uh, but climbing in the locked out mode. Because yeah. some of the climbs are pretty smooth in the San Juan Hills area. And that lock in the middle mode, how much travel does the rear have? One, 120. Yeah. I was full lockout mode. On dirt, which is very unusual for me, but I, I needed all the help I could get to keep up with these guys. Um, and they were fast downhill, too. It was really fast. It's been a while since I've been on a ride where there's three guys kind of playing ball pretty aggressively. Uh, climbing is on point, descending on point, technical cl- everything. These guys, we were all very well matched um, and and all putting in work, trying to kind of push in each other. It was, it was pretty fun. Uh, so we saw this group of guys, part of the official event that we were part of, and guys I knew were in that ride. So they were up on a little knoll, and I said, hey, man, let's just go. Let's just go around them. They're probably just sitting around. So we went up. We powered up the hill out of the saddle, rocking the bike. You know, there's 30 guys sitting around ready to drop in this trail. We we don't stop, don't slow down, snake right through the group and skid and drop right in the trail in front of the whole group. <laughs> Three or four guys that I knew look at me like, hey, Nate. Uh, uh, skid or drift? Uh, yeah, I don't. Brakes talk. or no brakes? Brakes. Okay, you skid. I, I skid it, yeah. Um, and we dropped in like as fast as we could. Hmm. So I would consider that a bona fide shred signal. And it, I will be the first to admit it was a total... Dick if I had been one of those guys, I would have shouted at you as you went by, skidding's not drifting and you're not shred signaling. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have been 100% fair. But we also, all three of us, got a bona fide chuckle. Uh, we were, bona fide. We were, we were cackling as we went by. And so that was, that was quite entertaining. Um, it's kind of like a form of overtaking as well, which is yeah. very, very nice. Yeah, it was, it was fun. We, we enjoyed that. Um, I mean, great event. Ride, ride fast. Put it on. Uh, I mean, what well, The San Juan Hills, like Las Ramblas, right? The flag. Yeah, uh, like a, there is a right flag. before the five south kind of makes a curve to the left. Yeah, yeah. By Camino Cap, by yep. by my bikes, um, and uh, yeah, they 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 did an event. It Give was, a dog a bone or something. Two dogs and a bone. That's one of the trails. Two dogs mm. and a bone. Um, yeah, it's like Dragon's Back and Dragon's Tail. This is kind of a weird area. I don't know what the deal is. It's like legal, but not legal, but I don't know. I I think it's a little forgotten about. Uh, there's a lot of locals making cool trails. Some of it's legal. People walk their dogs. It's packed in the neighborhood. I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, it's all on Strava. It's secret. Did you win? So apparently they didn't want to do arithmetic. They only counted one segment out of the five. So they didn't even add them up like they said they were going to. Uh, I'm particularly grizzly. Everybody knows me. I'm particularly grizzly about mountain bike events. 
uh, a lot of people, it's not really race, it's for charity. I'm like, yes, it's for charity. But that and putting together a well-organized, well-thought-out event are not mutually exclusive ideas. Are they, I'm sorry, they can be mutually exclusive ideas. They don't, they're not interconnected. It's not like you can't have one and not the other. You can have a great event that flows well and it's organized well for charity. Um, I mean, unless you only believe in the profit motive. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, it's, uh, so that being said, you know, it's a charity. No problem. I, I paid my money. I did my part. Um, I feel like in general, the Enduro format, this, this does come from a place of love. I think the Enduro format has so many great possibilities within putting on a really fun mountain bike event that gives you an excuse to kind of push your limits a little bit in a fun, a really fun way. Uh, it, it bugs me when people, in my opinion, mess it up. I think it has great potential. There's a lot of great ways to do it. I have, uh, and I, I just keep, I'm like, no one keeps doing it right. I'm like, come on, let's figure this out, guys. Let's do it. I'd, I'd love to do a fun enduro um, local trails with a defined route, race the downhills uh, with a, don't have to have a start time. Thus, you don't clog the trails, right? Mm-hmm. Just have a hard in time. So let's say, hey, guys, this is a route. Everybody, whenever you want to go, but you have to be back by three, get your card in, your time's in by three. We're not taking any times after three. Oh, and let's let's do something even fun. Maybe even make a version where you have to have a buddy and it's combined times. So you and a partner, it's your combined times. I think that'd be super fun. And uh, call the route. Was this a fully permitted event with insurance and, and permits and everything? I think the official is it's it was just a ride. It was just friends going right. riding. <laughs> right. I think that's a lot of what's holding it back. I mean, yeah. I think to to really do a good event, you need proper timing. And as soon as you start using Strava for timing, there's not a lot of point in putting a lot of yeah. effort into other things being proper the, because it's not going to be a proper – it could yeah. be fun. Yeah. It, the one thing I would say about timing that I think a lot of event promoters have – get hung up on is making the timing complicated. And I I say that from a place of coming from motorcycle racing for a good number of years, um, is that the timing can be done well and real time and live, but doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be technologically complicated. I'm going to add to that. I'm not necessarily a fan of racing on, on not closed courses. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Timing-wise, I think you need a good free lap timing system or whatever they call it these days with the satellite timing and put the chip in the plate and then it's all good. I, that And that's where I would I would differ. Uh, coming from the moto world, which they've been doing, you know, District 37's been doing racing forever. And I worked a number of checkpoints at events and it was a clock and dudes and markers. I mean, I'm not saying that's not a good system. I'm just saying you can get... I think something that's probably overall more accurate and less prone to human error with less volunteers, probably at a lower budget, maybe at this point. I don't know what that stuff costs anymore. I mean, I know it's coming yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. There, There's various ways to do it, and I think there's – I mean, over the top seems to do really – I don't think they pay a ton for their timing, and it seems to be really accurate and undisputed most of the time from what I can tell. They, uh, they hire a guy. Who, they don't buy the equipment. They hire a guy to do the timing as a contract – but it's chips. It's not. It's not they, stopwatches and people. Correct. They do chips. I, I'm advocating stopwatches and people in uh, enduro format 
when you typically have no more than two people coming across the line at any given time because it's a stage start. So you can, I'm not saying anything is wrong with stopwatches and people other than it just might not be any, it might be coming to where it's just not the most anything. Like, no, no, it's not the most anything, but I, I would say, um, I've seen the number of races that I've been to where the complex timing systems, if you're going to do a complex timing system, make sure it works and it's robust. Right. I think that's also getting easier and better. Yeah, too. for sure. And I think that the nice thing about, and I don't know that I, I'm not so sure that chips that are satellite detected are that complex at this point. I don't think they're, they're not satellite. They're typically no. on it site goes through like a gate. Yeah. You have to have yeah. a, yeah, gate you have a gate. gate. Uh, there's a timestamp. So system. on the Enduro, you'd need either five different routes that end in the same place or you need volunteers that start and stop and you need the the plate that they cross that but just for starting just like as a fantasy in my mind and i really like the thing where you go whenever you want and that that adds a little bit of burden to stopwatch keepers yeah um but just picture if the deal was just we're going to put a gate at the top of joplin and a gate at the bottom of and a gate at the entry to old camp and that's going to be the times run today. And next weekend we'll do a different one. And and we're not even going to have someone out there. We don't even have to have volunteers at the top or the bottom because it's just going to notice when you go through each gate, and that's it. Right. The 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 I think to Ox point, the timing systems actually at the races are not GPS enabled. Though right. No, I'm saying yeah. is you make a gate at the top and a gate at the bottom. I, I picked yeah. that up and incorporated oh, yeah, it into my yeah, bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. my shtick. I think the sport ident system is really solid. That's one that I've raced with a lot. Um, and there's different versions of it. Some of them you actually have to like, you touch the beacon to start. So you touch mm-hmm. it and it goes beep, beep, beep. You put your hand back on the bar and go. The other ones have like a, like a, you know, an RFID like light gate that you just mm-hmm. pass through. That's, right. that's the more popular one that the BME system uses. So you just have the chip on your wrist and it's automatically, you know, electronically time stamping your, you have a digital that's time card. An interesting one, yeah. Yeah, that's, I've also, that's the most popular one right now. Like when I used to race downhill, they would do the watch and the thing, and sometimes I'd sit by the bottom. And like if you hang out there for a while, you'll lose trust in the system. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now that I think on a downhill race at two or three minutes, that's true. But I'm advocating a system of thirty to forty minutes of race time, where the you can give up a little precision. Uh, and you should get bigger gradients over 40 minutes. Maybe a lot of these Enduros are won and lost like in a tight cluster of seconds. Like I don't see that kind of stuff at the amateur level quite as much. I do see that at the pro level, Mm -hmm. but the amateur level tends to spread out a little bit more. Um, but that being said, I do feel like there's a big potential in the format. I could probably come up with someone where I almost guarantee you if that person and I race Joplin, will be within two seconds of each other. Yeah, quite possibly. I have a person in mind, even. For sure. Well, that system is coming. However, I will say in in the comment of the systems coming down, uh, even up until this year, uh, BME threatens us with a hundred bucks if we don't turn in our chip. Yeah. <laughs> so it must be valuable. Uh, yeah, I think they're the chips themselves. They want them back pretty pretty vehemently. I would say that would be. I bet you the chips cost them fifteen bucks. 
Uh, yeah, probably. And they're charging you for collecting the hundred and all that, like for being the problem. Yeah, yeah it's quite quite possible. They they they're like they're sealed systems. I'm not even sure if they charge them. If they got it. Charger, maybe, it, but I think it's a RFID. I think is the term used. I think if it's that, you don't. Have, it doesn't need a charge. They do turn them on somehow. Like the, when you go there in the morning, you put them in. You put them on the. You have to go to the check-in. They somehow turn the chip on. But when you look at it, they're yeah. if they're charged, they have to be charged like inductively or something, mm, right? Uh, and sometimes, actually, I think some of the BMEs, they were doubling up, so you'd have redundancy. You'd, they gave you one for each wrist? No, I, you know what? I take that back. I think I don't think the BME did that. I think maybe some of the EWSs were doing right. dual. I feel like I've done a race with dual chips before, though, where they really don't want to mess up your time, or they, they weren't 100% sure on their, <laughs> their gates. Cause I've heard it said many times, you're paying for a time. So if they lose your time, it's like right. <laughs> that was that was delivery item number one, right? So don't 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 lose the time. But I uh, I think there's a lot of lot of potential to the format, so that's why I'm a little grisly about when a it's not quite run as to its potential. So that was my shred selling story. <laughs> So, Tony, uh, have you ridden your rain much more? I've only ridden it a handful of times, and they were all really short rides at the Oaks, like one loop. Mm, nice. Um, still really good. I really want to get out and ride it more. I've been just this, – this is a weird time of year for the for my work, for you know my workflow, because it's sort of the, one of the slower months for the path. And what that means is that it's the time when I'm trying to rally people to do things they don't normally do. Mm, right. And it's also the time when I, it, it's, it's, it's usually, it's the time of year when it's like, all right, well, the year's winding down. Here's the, like, it's time to figure out all the stuff that didn't sell and figure out what to do with it. And that's like a big job for the crew and, mm-hmm. and, and like a, and for, you know, a big kind of organizational and communication and strat, s- planning job. So I've been a little underwater with that stuff and just like soccer, soccer season and, and, um, trying not to become just a roommate to my wife. And <laughs> so, yeah. Or trying to be, to still be more than a roommate. To the person <laughs> right, who exactly. calls me a husband. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, long story short, I haven't been able to make as much time to ride as I would like to even really feel like I've really given the bike a proper shakedown. But I continue to really enjoy riding it. Cool. What about you? I'm getting closer to having, I think, being able to say it, I've given mine a proper shakedown. And I like everything about it so far. What'd you end up picking for tires? Mm, let's see. I've got an SE4 on the rear. And, okay. Uh, X, SE or XR? SE. Okay. So it's like nine eight. It's like eight ninety five. Uh, that's not bad. Yeah. Okay. That's a two four. Uh, two four. Yes. No, the SE is two three or two a six. Two, Three, it's a two three. Then. It's confusing because that, right. that four and the five right. 
apologize. Yep. Oh, wait, sorry. Did you say S- SE4? SE4. Oh, that's 2-4. Sorry. The fives are two threes. It's mm, weird. Right. But I wonder when you put them on if they're the if they're actually. I bet they're the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do have an SC5 uh, sitting in the garage, and I think it's a 2-3 version of it. But, yeah, uh, that's but, a 2-3 or 2-6. Yeah. So <clears throat> anyways, the SC4 on the rear, I believe it's a 2-4. And then the um, DHF 2-3 on the front. How wide is your rim? 30. I think they're 30. The, the, 30, so you're running the 2-3 on the 30? Mm-hmm. You're running the um, giant yeah. uh, TR, TRX zeros, yeah. Yeah, those are 30 internal. I believe it's 30 internal. Pretty impressive wheels. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Really, really quite strong seeming so far, and 30 mil internals, and like right about 1,500 grams. Yeah, like. exactly. They have the Star Ratchet system? They have the Star Ratchet they do. system, yes. What, are the, what engagement version do they spec? I think it's the 36, but I haven't double-checked. Mm, yeah. Does that sound what, right? That what version? Right. Is there 183654? That sounds right. Available? Right. I think that's right. Okay. 18, typically, if you buy a hub aftermarket, is what you get, right? I think mm, it's... Less and less. Are they... Mm. So, I mean, I think a lot aftermarket. of OEM spec... Oh, aftermarket. I'm, yeah, yes, aftermarket. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. If you just buy a hub, aftermarket... Yes. Santa Cruz historically gives you the 36. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, that's the the tire selection. Uh, currently, is running the X two shock, which is the the standard shock. Let's see what else. Um, axis seat post fully hilted, and it's it is fully hilted. Nice one seventy one seventy fully hilted, and man, it's it's I can get by pedaling it fully extended, but maybe three millimeters drop. From fully extended is where I is optimal. What crank lengths are you running? One seventy fives. Okay. Oh, there you so go. So if you put one seventies yeah, on there, you'd it, be at optimal at, at your. Right I would height. be. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Can you get some rainbow uh, e wings for the? <laughs> <laughs> I bet we could get them anodized. <laughs> That's true. I, I threatened Ock the other day because I I have that steel Starling that I got and I feel like. It stylistically really needs some e-wings on it yeah. and i by no means have personal self-worth to spend that much money on <laughs> such an extravagant <laughs> item i blame my parents mm-hmm. but uh i i warned ak i was like the next time that bike comes over you better watch it carefully because i'm <laughs> fast with a wrench <laughs> exactly you should buy those 175 so i can get 170s yeah oh i know, I know. And, and also get the knife that ak Sold to Joel ah, and bought jo- back oh, from Joel, and goodness. you could probably. Joel was telling me the other day he wants that knife back, so then you could. <laughs> <that> <laughs> and, I know, I know. Nice. I just I asked Joel probably about five times on that over the years. He still he regrets it. Selling it back to you. I sold. I regretted selling it to him. Oh jeez. So, anyways, uh, back to the eighteen versus thirty-six two star ratchets. I will say. On like Nathan's into the wild V or um, cable disc brake bike, do the eighteen tooth. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, my uh, my uh, my travel or race bike setup is always the eighteen for durability purposes. It is more robust and reliable. Yeah, on my race bikes, I always run the eighteen. The teeth okay. are bigger and less fragile. Yeah. Yes. So fragile. Here, They're very uh, fragile. Here's an I interesting thing. That. I almost didn't believe that my giant my rain is is one pound heavier than your, your rain. Maybe eight tenths. 
maybe eight tenths. Is it where where I think is mine's it? twenty flashes between twenty eight point one and twenty eight point two on my scale. It's it's yeah okay that's true. Where where's the where's the delta? Well, <laughs> given a lot of thought to this, I suspect I need to add sealant to my tires just to start the conversation. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just to be intellectually honest in this, do you not have any sealant in yours? Um, I took the wheels and tires for now off my trance, and I think I last filled the sealant like two to three months ago. Mm. So probably Maybe. not yeah. much. And then let's see. Okay, big difference. The one-up versus the Axis Everb. The one-up slider? Like significantly. Really? It's probably 125 grams. Whoa, yeah, really? Total, yeah. It's significant. Wait, is the Everb heavy or is the one-up light? One-up's light. Uh, I think the Everb is kind of in line with pretty much every other seatbelt. What does a 2.3 DHR weigh? 9.30 maybe? 30, yeah. 9.50? Mm, I suspect it's I suspect that's not true. No, Because the DHR is lighter than the DHF, and that sounds like a DHF. My 2.3 oh, DHR I, I is 9.05. Oh, are you running a DHR on the front? The back. I was just trying to compare rear tire weights. Oh, I actually think my... Rear tire might be a slightly lighter. That's what I think, too. I have two that I recently weighed in my garage. They're 2.3 DHR29s, and they're 9.05. That sounds right. Oh, they're very close. Yeah, I've been... Because I keep swapping tires... 9.50 sounds high. 9.05, I can believe. Yeah, I'm I'm riding uh, weights on tires and wheels. Especially wheels. Like, if you're ever in your garage and you're working on something and you might be swapping parts, Mm, and you're like, oh, hey, the wheel's actually torn down which is unusual to have the disc like correct go ahead and weigh it and just mark it yeah and then yeah. you know if you're like hey should i put those on that bike are they lighter yeah. you don't have to tear it down yeah. i've been doing that on tires yeah and all rotors rotors yeah so i think you're running the shimano rt86s or something like that the xt no uh, i think rotor. i'm running SRAM center lines really well that doesn't explain anything what are you running as far as the the Bars and I heard you were. What brakes bars. are you running? Mm, guides, RSC guides. Okay, I'm running G2s. I think are similar weights. I am running the one up bar, which is a very light bar, yep. and it has that taper on it for it. I think this might be a. a if Nathan could get past the upsweep, <laughs> this might be something he like a stopgap like on the way to the flex bar that you got. Just have like, you seen how it's like tapered to like give it more yeah. yield and a vibration absorbing? Mm. It's I pretty have. cool. I think it's working. So just to give you a, a little background, there's a particular bar that FSA makes, and they actually still make it, but for a period of time, I, they switched t- uh, brand, uh, model names. There's a period of time when I didn't, I thought they weren't going to make it anymore. Um, so Tani's convinced that I can get away from this bar. However, I have a stash. Well, you don't, you don't need to get away from it. And I <laughs> I think you would agree with me that it's just a matter of how many rides it would take. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I'm not I'm saying just trying it would to, take a significant right. number of rides. I'm trying to illustrate the level of my odd obsession is that there is a box from an eBay order of many uh, <laughs> multiples, new, new so, old stock private stash. So what saddle are you running? Uh, not a super light saddle. Mm-hmm. It's the Spank Uzi yeah, 150, right. I think. You're right. So I, uh, pedals are very similar. I weighed a pair of um, the plastic Wallace versus running. the XTRs that I'm running. Those are similar. Like very really? Similar. Yeah, Wait, very similar. plastic Wallace are the same as XTR race roughly, spuds? Roughly, very, yeah. No, I, I had a, no kidding. A, and another related kind so of Wawa note, 
we were talking about how usually if we see inserts ripped out of carbon cranks, it's a big flat pedal. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the plastic ones are a little less likely to do that because they might yield a little more. Uh, yeah. Just possibly. slightly before, yeah. Because the body isn't connected to the spindle. Like there's a part of the outer part of the body that could actually flex. It's possible. Yeah. And even just like how Ever so slightly, even just like how sharp the hit is, because it could even like it's a softer material, like not just more mm-hmm. flexible, but just softer. It might also the soft s- softer it, it flexibility. You're kind of saying the same thing. They're related. I think they're related. I'm not sure how li- linear the co- relation. Uh, well, the softness. This, I don't want to get into the engineer weeds. I'm gonna take. I I engineer it all all day today. So what stem are you running? I am running. I don't remember. I'm just sure. running the giant standard one. Okay. Uh, Mega Force <laughs> two. Sorry, <laughs> I think it's a. You mega. know what? I'm running a spank stem. I don't know what it weighs, but I bet it's moderate. I'm gonna say that between the stem bar and one up seat post, uh, you're probably getting about half a pound on. And yeah, that explains I a bet. lot of it. I bet I have uh, at least. I bet I have at least a quarter pound less sealant in my tires than you two, and that would explain pretty much the difference. And the lyric is lighter than the thirty-six. Uh, I'm gonna. No, it's not. No, I think we weighed them at the shop. Me I, and Brian. You know what? Well, I I waited on the um I waited on the the large postal package um scale mm-hmm. that you guys have. And uh, it didn't go past 2.0 kilograms. So it might be a little bit. I mean, I think we weighed it from our hanging scale, and I remember it being like 100 grams or something. Wow, really? I think so. Because the it large. It seemed like enough to matter at the time. Well, okay, that, that could be. But the large postal scale, I was in the shop and I weighed two uncut ones, and, and it didn't show a difference. They both showed 2.0 kilograms. But Interesting. the hanging, I would have trusted the hanging. One more. Hmm. But I will say this, that Lyric Fork, I'm really impressed with, the new one. Mm. Well, you have a Lyric on yours. I do. So that either way, that's not the difference. Correct. So between the sealant and the seat post and the cockpit. We almost have it explained. We almost have it. The E-Wing versus the 170 XOs that you have? I doubt there's much there. Yeah, do you, let me let me ask you this. So there's there's a point at which there's a that you get below a certain weight where the bike you actually can't quite ride it to the level to an appropriate level. In because the, of, in the words of uh, of Bill and Ted, is that because of the actual weight in your mind, or because like something had to be compromised to get to that weight? Yeah, yeah. Meaning there's a there's a certain level of tire where you might do it for weight, but you're like, I can't right. push. Yeah. It's I, something had to be compromised to get to that weight because there is this other argument that I'm aware of where some people think that like even if it's just as stiff and just as good of tires and just as everything else, a heavy bike just rides better. And that's what I don't agree with. I don't either. I I, I absolutely – I. and this is coming from a person right now. My I have three bikes and the weights are 28 pounds. 35 pounds and 37 pounds oh, Nelly. and they all have similar travels, similar purpose, similar brake strength. Uh, and I do believe there's something to be said for a, a lighter 
by uh, this is debatable the and the thought leaders in the space people like chris porter and people like what if you uh you know leo and uh, kokonan at, at pole like these these are all i think they're i would say highly experimental thought leaders in the space a lot of people are arguing about this weight thing but i I don't know how to explain it at the physics. I've heard people explain it as a total package weight. Well, you plus the bike and a couple pounds on the bike is a small percent. It's There's something different about a pound on the bike and a pound on your body. I feel like it's different. I don't know how to explain it. I believe weight absolutely matters. And I do believe even on a shreddy bike, a lightweight shreddy bike, to me, feels more capable and you can ride more aggressively and flick around and lift all sorts of things more than a heavy bike of equal travel. So I've, I've tried running the, uh, the TRX zero wheels with this exact tire setup on the trance on the mega tower and on the rain. Mm -hmm. And those wheels make a huge difference on, especially well on the mega tower. That's where I had the main difference because I was running reserve thirties with, the Askai 25EXO XO Plus on the front <laughs> and um, uh, DHR 2.3 on the rear, standard EXO. And I think that tire, that wheel setup, wheel tire combo setup, it's about a pound difference, maybe mm-hmm. three quarter to a pound difference, makes that, makes the Mega Tower feel very different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm sure maybe in certain contexts it, would be worse but man just for being over biked in the in the local parks i liked running the lighter wheel setup yeah me too and i totally agree with everything you know and i will add to that though those giant wheels sometimes make a noise that my oh, reserve 30s don't make that totally. i'm not totally comfortable with okay but try putting on the the ghetto segmented chain state protectors it, no, I'm talking about a noise that I feel like they make, the wheels are making. It has nothing to do with the chainstay. I know, but you know what? Try it, and the wheels make a lot less noise. I, I mean, maybe I might be mistaken. Maybe it's a different noise that we're talking about, but... Yeah, I'm talking about, like, a <laughs> noise. Like, a, hmm. like, not a slapping noise. Yeah. Hmm. Or, and also, like, a... Uh, like a no, like I, yeah. Maybe a chainstay protector could deaden it just like the way, like, a... Uh, like a sound panel, panel dead and sound in a room, right? But I'm pretty sure I'm hearing the wheels get stressed, and I bet I could do it more on the Mega Tower, even yeah. though the Mega Tower has the segmented chainstay protector, right? Hmm. Yeah i i I understand the physics. I actually listened to an interview with uh, Joe McEwen, who you know owns and does the Starling bikes. And his point is like, yeah, you know, weight doesn't matter. It's when you look at the assembly, you know, human plus bike. I totally agree with the physics. I get it. It's a sound argument. But my riding experience, it sounds like your guys' riding experiences, there's something different about a pound on a yeah. bike. Yeah. And and even more nuanced, there's something different about a pound on a wheel. Oh, okay. So you know, that I totally a, agree with. With, yeah. the, with the rotating weight on a wheel, there's a bunch of big things going on that we, we've probably talked about before. But that's... To, it's unsprung weight, which right. is way more important. And what the reason it's more important is because it has to change direction every time the suspension changes direction. Like that's weight that has to be going back and forth. So it's extra mass that needs to be moving back and forth, which isn't good for the suspension qualities. Right. And then in addition to that, it's rotating weight, which means an, 
it means that you have it's more mass to spin up to speed and it also means that once it is spun up to speed it's more and this might be not necessarily good or bad but it's definitely a thing that you're going to feel it's more of that like gyroscopic force that makes your bike sure. not want to change planes. And that number between a 27.5 and a 29 is quite notable. Those mm-hmm. gyroscopic forces mm-hmm. actually do, are quite significantly different. And all three of those, all three of those are factors that I firmly believe in. I feel like I can feel them happening, especially the spinning up speed and the gyroscopic force speed, right. but also sprung like, one of the big arguments for a downhill cassette with less different gears is you're just reducing that unsprung weight on the rear axle and, yeah. and being all the way out on the rear axle makes unsprung weight even more, rel- more important. Kind of going back to what I was saying about there's a, f- there's a few people playing as, as kind of thought leaders and experimental leaders in the space. And I think Chris Porter at Geometron certainly is one of them. I think one of the really interesting things is uh, if you go on the Geometron website, and look at their bikes and they're Nikolai's, right? They're Nikolai's rebranded as Geometrons, but with some little bit of special sauce. But at this point, the geometry is the same. The geometry was pushed heavily by Chris Porter. Uh, they have different spec offerings from Geometron and there's a special like hour spec. That's really interesting. And if you go through line by line, there's two things that caught my attention. One is it's spec'd with an XX one 11 speed cassette lightest, wide range cassette on the, you know, even semi ride range at this point, lightest cassette on the market. And it's specced with a, a Shimano, uh, de- rear derailleur. And what I have heard, I haven't confirmed this. The reason that he does that or that they do that, because this spec is reflective of their taste. They turn the clutch off because it affects the suspension less. So they do a Shimano clutch. They can turn the clutch off and they use the lightest cassette on the market mm-hmm. that gives them, even a fighting chance of climbing a hill with that bike. I thought they, that was Then they're now relying more on a chain guide to keep the chain on. Correct. And and this crew for sure runs chain guides. They Their, their whole kind of driving principle is uh, more or less a pedalable downhill bike, right? But I, I just found that interesting that mm-hmm. called it their... Oh, you just blasphemy their Evo spec, if you will, uh, is particularly mixed and matched for very, very specific reasons. I, and that so, one caught my eye. Here's a thought process or here's a thought experiment on the question of say, does four pounds matter to a 170 pound person who has to carry that four pounds and propel it and move it around. Put on a yeah. four pound backpack. Yeah. Tell I, me how you feel. Tell me if you'd rather carry that or not carry that. Tell right. me if you want to like do some agility stuff with it on or with it off. Right. I think or like do a, uh, yeah. or like do some pull-ups with it on and with it off. I mean, look at ultra runners, right? And their running vest. I, I, I think an ultra running running vest is one of the most weight conscious designed products I think I've ever seen mm. as far as minimized stitching and sure. buckles. And, uh, I, I guess. And if that matters, then why doesn't the bike matter? Yeah. It, I, I think there are arguments to be made for, companies that offer heavy bikes and heavy bikes are less expensive to manufacture lightweight product lightweight efficient structures are more expensive things to make manufacture design they take much more testing and they're i mean coming from a product development space making something lightweight and efficient is way harder than making something robust mm-hmm. 
it's it's tough and so uh lightweight products are always going to be more expensive um and so but it does it does matter I, there's something about it like you're not going to you there's a lot of weight decisions that I make based on economic reasons of you know what I'm not going to spend this money to get this part mm-hmm. lighter but I'm not going to tell you it doesn't matter yeah. here's another thought to you from my point of view right or wrong and I know this isn't a this is a contested idea a little bit, but I really believe that if the weight is, if the weight is sprung and centered on the bike, like around the bottom bracket, I'm not as worried about it. And part of my thought process is if I want to pick the rear wheel up or the front wheel up, I don't have a lot of a mechanical advantage. I'm not in a strong position to do that. So a little bit of extra weight out there on the ends hurts my ability to move the bike around. Yeah. Makes Where sense. if it's in the middle of the bike, I don't feel like it's as much of a problem. So like a heavy front tire, for example, I feel like really changes my ability to like pop up into a manual. Yeah. I can still do it. It's different timing. It's different. It's different loading. Yeah. Um, so just the, some thoughts on that. There was a test that Paul Aston did for pink bike, maybe a couple years ago at this point where he had a Nikolai something, something, equal bikes, equal spec, one with a gearbox, one without, I would have loved to have done a couple back-to-back runs on those two bikes. I think that's one of the very rare instances where this could have been felt in a very exaggerated manner. Did you see the new patent Shimano released for a new gearbox thing? I, I didn't. It's a, it's a um, sequential gearbox chain driven. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know what to, I don't know how different it is than like, a roll off hub in the middle of the frame, but it yeah. kind of looks like that like yeah. from a, from, from a distance. Yeah. Um, it supposedly is going to change the industry and solve some of the problems you're talking about where you would want to run yeah. a clutch on the downhill and everything. Does it seem to be, did when you looked closely, does it seem to be geared, uh, geared at the mountain space? And the, the reason I ask Definitely. is the, the diagram or the, there was like a, one of those like, Draw, like drawing renditions of a bike with it on it. It was a mountain bike. Oh, uh, okay. The reason I ask is Shimano plays heavily and does a lot of technological advances in the commuter space. Nexus. Yeah. Ne- all, and, and light bar system, all sorts of stuff, right? Mm. Like generator systems, all sorts of technology that they put a lot of R and D dollars in, you know, for these $6,000 commuter bikes in Holland and, things like that right. it's a big market but uh yeah if it sounds like it's mountain bike i'm excited to see it. it's probably i've heard that shimano is typically working on products somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to eight years out yeah but this was a press release they made this wasn't a spy shot oh shimano released they, the pack. They, yeah oh it wasn't something that, like pink bike dug up i'm pretty sure uh, good question. I'm not. Mm. I think Shimano went public on purpose so, and shared the information with Pinkbike. That was like the yeah. impression I got. Because patent publications do go public, you just need to know where to look for them. But they are public. That's part of the process. process. I'll look again, but I think there were like quotes from Shimano and stuff. Ah, interesting. Correctly. Yeah. So uh, often, just from a product development standpoint, once you get a promising concept, and sometimes even if it's a quasi-promising concept. You do file, um, you do file some IP, and then it goes to a published state before it's granted, mm. and that lets the world know. I mean, part of the if anyone pa- has comment on this, it's it's not so much comment as it is um, the the unaf- the general concept of a patent is an agreement 
with the government that in exchange for sharing your idea with the rest of the society is they will grant you exclusivity with the general goal being to share knowledge. So it's this knowledge sharing process. It, in exchange, the government will grant you legal exclusivity as long as you share your ideas. And the idea is that, well, it's going to promote technology because the next guy sees where you are, takes it to the next level, takes it to the next level, and it forces you to share those ideas. So that's the, that's the general noble original concept of it. Uh, of course, it's mutated with all sorts of weird it looks like this is something that was actually uncovered and not announced by Shimano. I to your, back to your questions. Yeah. I, it, it, uh, so, for example, I, I worked in the patent world and I have done work for Japanese companies that were pretty wild ideas. And I think the Japanese companies are quite aggressive in patenting concepts mm. because IP doesn't necessarily mean it's something. Uh, remember, IP is something you can stop your competitor from making, not something that you necessarily have to or even want to make. Right. Interesting. Um, a patent is an offensive tool. It does, it, and and all, often one thing that's commonly I hope they didn't patent it to just put it away and make sure no one can do it. That would suck. I would say, from my experience, that's a very common practice, and especially with a company like Shimano, I think it's something that they have been doing for a long time. Now that is um, that's a totally fair uh, business practice. It, but it's an interesting use of the patent system. Now, another confusing thing is just because you have a patent on something doesn't mean you can make it. Uh, the very simple thing is someone patented a car, but you patented a three wheel car. You can't make a car. You can't make your three wheel car without first in an overarching sense, make a car. Mm. So just because you have a patent on a three-wheel car doesn't mean you can make a car. So this is just editorial, and it doesn't really prove any theories that you're stating wrong, but this is from Pink Bike. The smoking gun in Shimano's application can be found in the details. The abstract abstract drawings depict a concept that is near production, not a bunch of cut-and-paste bicycle parts adorned with play school cogs and components. So... Part of the U.S. patent process is you do have to disclose the best um, the best practice. So it's and in my past dealing with large companies, the very wild concept drawings I would see from companies like that do they are CAD generated. Um, they're pretty advanced drawings. Well, I, I, they go on to say that they're like get the Shimano's already gone apparently gone into like suspension kinematics and stuff uh, on the design in the patent application right so the patent patent application according to their analysis suggests that shimano has done that uh again coming from the space i would say that that does not indicate that they are working on it it indicates they have a good patent firm that's been doing business with them for years and has has made sure to flesh out the disclosure For whatever there's that's There's also, worth. Uh, they go on to say that there's an in-depth description of a special lubricant that they wouldn't necessarily need to work out to just get the patent and all. Uh, it's um, it's best mode practice for patent. You, if you have uh, ideas on how to do it the best way, and that's part of that exchange with the government, 
is you can't get exclusivity for your idea if you're saving the secret sauce, if if that makes sense. So it's right, it's, but do you have to solve every problem down like, that might come up down the line? Like, if you have it, yes. If you have it, yes. You have to make a working prototype. No, you have to disclose your your best known. Oh, I see. Iteration at the time. You have to have full disclosure of your kind understanding of, of potential problems. Uh, correct. And 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 what what that's targeted at but doing? Could you just say like it's going to take lubrication that doesn't that does isn't currently on the market? That correct. Be- but if I think it goes to, let's say they do go in and they go to court again, this this amateur amateur explanation. So please take this with a grain of salt. If you uh, let's say this. And this is uh, based on the experience of the patent attorney. Let's say this goes into production and gets litigated and it goes into discovery and they find out that Shimano drafted a patent and they had, say, email communication saying, we know that this lubricant would work or would be best and that wasn't disclosed in the patent. It could be grounds for invalidation of the patent. So it behooves the company to disclose in the patent application, the best mode Mm. it's, it would, it would come out in discovery in a litigation case. So if they have, particularly if they follow good lab practice and say the engineer on the project is following a good properly dated lab notebook. And if that information is in that to establish say inventorship, you would want that in the application. I I just hope that you're wrong. I don't think that you're wrong. I hope that you're wrong. (laughs) Right. Well, um, I, it's a very common and effective business practice. Remember, patents, I know you're not wrong about yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Pa- patents let you stop your competition. They don't let you do anything. They let you sue your competition. That's, it is a tool to sue your competition. It's plain and simple. That's what it's for. Unfortunately, that can be painted in a negative well, light, but that's it's what potentially the also a tool to stop someone from getting in a position to do that to you. I mean, uh, in a sense, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I would phrase you it differently. Pl- if you yeah. plan to do it and don't and want your competition to have to license it from you, it would be a tool for that as well. Correct, correct. But again, licensing and suing—they're both offensive moves. Not, you know, they're not defensive. I moves. guess another way of saying what I'm trying to say is, if you do plan to do it, it still might be part smart to patent it. Correct. There's a, there's plenty of, and that's the advocate of the garage inventor, right? Just because you come up with a great idea and don't have money to bring it to market doesn't mean you can't demand a licensing fee or protect your garage invention from, say, Apple. Or well, and that's the other argument for patents that's often put forth more commonly than the one you put forth is that it encourages that independent invention and free, like, yeah, people trying to come up with a better widget. So, so that they can be an inventor and make money. and and share that idea and publicly share that idea. That's that's the incentive. Well, but also have a, a, an advantage in the marketplace because the government's going to protect you from direct, unmitigated competition with the idea. In a sense, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> if, if you I, yeah. use it, if you use your lawyers, right? For for uh, for whatever it's worth, um, if I had to bet fifty bucks. I would say Shimano is not going to develop that product. Ooh. That's just just my guess. And you're the one who is going to argue for Shimano being a better f- company philosophically than SRAM. 
I, that's a, I think that's a debate for another day. Yeah, I'm just saying, <laughs> right off the bat, I don't like that uh, philosophically. Yes, even if it, even though it is common practice. Uh, yeah, we, Tani and I were discussing earlier. We will keep this full debate for another episode. But I am a Shimano fan. I am in the minority. You're a Shimano fan this week. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean... Fair enough. Well, I we'll, like Shimano we'll... pedals. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a time when I felt like Shimano brakes were your best bet for stopping. Yeah. Uh, the, these days, they don't seem to know about contempt, all of their weepy pistons and contaminated brake pads and <laughs> rotors. So since they don't know about it, I guess it's a tree didn't fall in the forest. Do you guys have the brake pad contamination through the ceramic pistons thing? It's, I don't, I think it's not, I don't think it's limited to ceramic pistons, but I would have to do a little research on models that come like, do, do, yeah. do SLX brakes come with ceramic pistons? Yes. Okay. What about, do you, what about some of the road brakes? Do all the road brakes come with ceramic pistons? Uh, I don't, I don't know the full lineup, but what I will say is within my garage, my sample size, Dior brakes don't suffer this issue and those have metal pistons to my understanding oh and by the way even though they've never seen it before they've only seen it on giant bikes <laughs> <laughs> they got some weird guys on the phone i'm not mad <laughs> um and it, of course i have seen it on lots of bikes that aren't giant bikes but <laughs> <laughs> i've had an issue with those ceramic pistons but i yeah the I've played a little bit with, uh, I have a new Shimano 12-speed drivetrain. I'm super impressed. The brakes are totally different world. I don't want to get into the brake world. Let's put it this way. I'm not buying Shimano brakes either. But the 12-speed stuff, at least first impressions, I'm uh, thoroughly impressed. So far. This week. To Ox Point. (laughs) (laughs) SRAM makes very nice things. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Well, well designed. Well executed. Last episode, we talked about how we we couldn't. I couldn't for sure remember a specific time when I saw broken holotech cranks. So, oh yeah, right. did did slide into our DMs with the picture mm-hmm. of some, which is thank you for that. The detail in the picture, quite a bodacious flat pedal. And he is a big fella. Uh-huh. He, he's a, he acknowledged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Um, but we also mentioned that that's kind of the pattern with broken carbon cranks. So bodacious flat pedals with big, big gents. Speaking of other stuff we talked about in previous episodes, I want to bring back two things and bring them together. Remember a few episodes back when we started talking about like body travel, the idea yeah. that like your knees and elbows and, and, and ankles all add up to this, like this concept of body suspension Yeah, and how maybe maybe taller riders have more body travel. Mm-hmm. And then last show I was talking about the various possible advantages of being feet closer together at three and nine with shorter cranks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one, well, I, I mean, I, I don't know how much, but definitely by getting your feet further apart with those longer cranks, you're giving up some body travel. Yeah. I, I think the geometry of that does line up. Yeah, question a debate of degree, but uh, I think a direction like geometric fact. Well, and the less body travel you have, the bigger proportion of your travel it is, and maybe right. even the more of travel you're losing. I think with some right trigonometry. Correct me if I'm wrong. To Ox Point, take it to an extreme. If you did the splits, no body travel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, and if your most body travel would be standing with your feet right together. Right, right. 
I, I, on the crank length, uh, debate, I had one of my bikes set up with one seventies. I'm taller. I'm just shy. I'm five eleven, uh, and lanky I, and lanky, a long glass of five eleven. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, one seventies, just, I, the leg motion, the circle, it just doesn't feel right. I, I, one seventies, one seventy fives for me. It just that my I think my range of leg motion and things. It, maybe to your point, my leg stance feels too close. Well, but my um, also too. I mean, one seventies feel weird to me if I've been riding one seventy fives a lot. Yeah, on pedaling. Right. I get used to it pretty quick, but yeah, I know that feeling. It, it yeah. makes like you're feels like you're making tiny little hamster circles or something. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty comfortable staying with 175s and I think the philosophical ground clearance argument I don't really buy so but also going back if you started to come around to my thinking on on bike handling and shorter cranks and if we're talking about a bike going back to this it's just meant to get up the hill yeah and it's and like will pretty much compromise anything that's not a deal breaker on getting up the hill to make it a better downhill bike. Yeah. Maybe you would run once a shorter cranks on that bike. If you started to agree with me about some of this bike handling stuff more. Right. I, I think your argument for stance is a stronger argument to go shorter cranks than ground clearance. The ground clearance one, I think it's, it's so small. And I, when I hit a rock, I don't think I hit it by a five millimeter margin. I'm pretty sure I hit it by like a 20 millimeter margin. <laughs> So, uh, I, I think your argument's more compelling than the ground clearance. Okay. Just as a, just as a possible counterpoint, do you think, and I know this might be a dumb question, but is five millimeters of bottom bracket height, a relevant topic on ground clearance for me? No, I, I, right. Cause it couldn't be, I mean, I would just be, you would be being illogical if you thought it was after what you had just said. No, I think, you know, given a bike's bouncing up and down, you know, 150 millimeters and, Rocks are very dynamic, and uh, I mean, how about this? Uh, what if we did a real study and said at X bottom bracket height, we are one point nine standard deviations from your average rock intrusion? <laughs> oh yeah, right. And at five millimeters lower, we're two point one standard deviations, and that's the difference between clearing ninety five percent of rocks and clearing. 80% of rocks. Like and if I, if you could show the statistical, like yeah. this is the difference between this is the difference. Be, this is the key five millimeters between like a big yeah. proportion of your rock strikes on, on a statistical basis. I think it's possible that the anecdotal story I have is that I went uh, to Sedona a couple weekends with my girlfriend and She's on 165 cranks and I'm on 175 cranks and she hit every freaking rock on the trail and I missed every one. So I would argue that there's a skill element that overrides the whole package. I, I mean, that supports my, like my rhetoric when someone ta- asks about that. I tell them that if they're, if they work on it, they can ride a low bottom bracket bike and pedal technical stuff and not have pedal strikes. Oh yeah. We, we, you know, it was just us on the trip. So we had time to work through things and she was, we were working on a step up and we were kind of breaking down what wasn't working. And the number one thing that's really limiting her on some of her technical climbing is her pedal timing. And it's hard to learn. And it's, you have to kind of picture it in your mind and plan as 
kind of think ahead like i'm going forward there's that rock my foot's coming down it's going to be at the bottom at about this point it's it's well, right there's a pretty complex calculation on the i think the, the thing you're describing about where you're gonna how far forward are you going to be propelled by that two-thirds or three-quarters pedal stroke yeah. that's going to be till that pedals at six o'clock right mm-hmm. and i have you know hundreds of thousands of reps in in learning that timing and she has much less and she's struggling with that but you which also have the power to like stall in your dead zone if you need to to clear the pedal and like power the bike back into motion over the I, ledge i also as i was breaking down the you know as we were working through the thing and i was doing it a couple of times and i was doing it not only to show her but to try to be more uh what do they say that uh uh present or conscious or mindful i was trying to be more mindful of what i was doing what i had never caught um is i sometimes throw a snap ratchet back to clear a rock i'll be pedaling go bam and just crank the cranks back because i I can see in my you, mind's well, that's eye. That's a trials move. You've ridden, and yeah. You've ridden plenty enough trials hours to have that just be in your muscle memory. It's it's totally I'll there. Add to that, and this is highly speculative, and it's based on maybe some stereotypes that I hold. But I bet you she's more cadence dependent to make watts than you are. Yeah, probably. I mean, I found that a lot of times newer riders are more cadence dependent. Riders who ha- don't have a long mountain history, but also riders who are more dependent on their cardio and less dependent on their horsepower, which is yeah. often women. Yeah. I mean, not to stare. I, here we go. Uh, no, there's we a, can there's cancel a, me now, but there's an average strength difference. It's there, you know, but well, uh, not just that, but also there's an average of wit, like strength, weight, but also cardio, like women tend to not have any <laughs> very little, like women tend to be strong on cardio. Right. Um, you're so stereotypical, dude. No, <laughs> dude, it's terrible. You're like, <laughs> the, no, but I mean, mm-hmm. when you look at the endurance sports, the gaps between the elite women and the elite men are smaller than when you look at the power sports. That's all I'm really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That exactly. illustrates what yeah. I'm trying to say. And and my girlfriend's a former endurance runner, so even more right. Um, so uh, one of the things I noticed too is when there's a particularly challenging uphill. You guys probably do this too, right? It's is. Uh, I'm not in the easiest gear. I sometimes, if something's going to take an explosive power move, I'll, I'll gear down, you know, up a little call totally harder a power gear. move. Yeah, yeah, because my power move needs more forward drive with less crank spin and less crank crashing. Mm-hmm. So I'll go to a higher gear to slow down my crank rotation to get my pedals to clear the obstacle. And so that also gives you like better modulation on your traction. Yeah, but yeah, my years of trials like. Using knowing when those cranks are going to rotate, and even sometimes using the tip of the crank to propel you, there's there's a lot more going on in my brain when I'm clearing rocky cl- technical climbs than I probably have given credit for, and and thus it's it's really been an interesting exercise for me to try to break it down for someone else. Go, I've never really paid attention to what I'm doing, but I am not hitting my cranks, and you're are. Mm. And to that point, her cranks are 10 millimeters shorter than mine. <laughs> Is her bottom bracket height lower than yours? Uh, probably not on, on that bike. No, probably not a lot. But yeah, I I, I, yeah, I see your point. I, I'm not my, even sure if I didn't necessarily. It was yeah, just a question. My, uh, my point is, based on my observations, it's uh, heavily, heavily skill dependent. 
So if I were going to be swayed by an argument to go shorter cranks, Tani's argument is much stronger than the ground clearance argument. Because you have the skill to not have the rock strikes. And, For me, and yes. Maybe it's, not because a, it's maybe not the difference most of the time. If you threw 180s on my bike, I, I would uh, be very curious to try them, and I would not be scared of rock strikes. I'd be scared of stance position, unfamiliarity. I wouldn't be worried about rock strikes. Right. Most of your bikes, on average, have taller bottom brackets, both static and sagged, than most of my bikes, too, though. Probably, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, work on your pedal timing if you're smacking rocks a lot. Yeah. Get get better. That part, (laughs) I think, is for sure true. Yeah. And it's more than, yeah, you're right. Because it is more than just pedal timing as in... As in a continuous cadence and getting your pedals in the right position, it's yeah that ratchet that you talk about. It's, it's the quick even ratchet. like what's a good spot to just not pedal for a second That's, so that your timing yeah, is going to work. It's a right fraction, later. Of, yeah. Have and having the body lunge mechanics down yes, so that you can a, suspend a, a short pedal time and then still get the bike to pop for like yeah. there's a lot to That's it. That's part so of that, that body lunge. That's a big one, right? Like yeah. if. If oh, yeah. you have that, once you get your front wheel onto something, you can get your rear wheel onto it pretty much right. without mm-hmm. using your pedals, even if you have just a little bit of forward on Yeah. And what's what's super counterintuitive for new riders is take a quick flash shot of a rider getting that lunge move. That bike's way out in front of them as if they were going, dropping down a super steep downhill, except they're popping up a super steep uphill. It's super counterintuitive for a new rider. They're like, wait, I have to lean back when I'm going up, but well, then like grab the brakes and get pull. forward because right. you're going to lunge forward a... and you have to have somewhere to go. And I think even sometimes I haven't quite broken it down, but I think I snab the brakes so I can pull back on the pull myself back forward over the bike. And I'll just split second, grab the brakes so that I'm not pulling the bike back off the ledge that I just popped it onto, but that I pop the bike onto the ledge, grab the brakes, pull my body back up over the bike, release the brakes as that's happening, and then continue pedaling. I think I'm going to go try that little climb out of lizards again and do that <laughs> technique. I think I <laughs> yeah. think the time I, I, I sort I, of almost made it recently and then fell all the way back to the bottom, that, if I had thought that of take... that, I might have made it. <laughs> yeah. But that's a, that's a total trials move where you, you lunge, get the bike up onto the obstacle, plant it with the brakes, and then yank your body up over the bike, and then lunge again. And then if you're Nathan, do a couple of little spry, like, shred signal hops. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, so it's been a fun exercise, you know, teaching someone some of these stuff. She's like, hey, how do you get up that ledge? I was like, ooh, all right, let's do this. It was kind of fun. We were then greeted by a whole pack of javelinas on the trail. It's the first time that's ever happened. It's kind of cool. I'm not sure if they're ill-tempered or not. I think they are. What's a javelina? It's it a wild like a small pig. pig, but oh, it's not. Cool. Yeah. I don't think it's technically a pig, but they look just like a pig. It's got a pig nose. Yeah, they really look like a pig. But it's not a pig. I think I think technically it's not a pig. Oh. But it definitely really looks like a pig. Are they ill-tempered? I think not unless mostly unless you corner them or make them feel threatened. Eh, they were checking us out, but they were they're, you know, the funny thing is when you look at them from the side, they, they have, you know, it looks like a pig silhouette, but when they look at you straight on, they look super skinny. I mean, I think they could be dangerous, but I don't, I, th- I don't think they're off likely dangerous unprovoked. They didn't have large tusks that I could observe. Yeah. Are and they pigs? Are you looking them up? I am. And it's, it's spelled javelina. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Speaking of, the, while you're looking at that, 
Did you guys know that there's a Maxxis tire that's named after a spear? Yeah, that's the Asica. Oh, I was going to – you blew my story. It's cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, this guy came into the shop and he's like, yeah, I'm looking for that Maxxis tire that's named after a spear. And, and I just started naming Maxxis tires. I think I named that one almost last. He's like, yeah, that one. It's a South African spear because it's Greg Menard and right. that's his tire. And yeah. Little, yeah, yeah, I didn't know. I just didn't have that piece of trivia, so I failed yeah. to like. It didn't help me help this customer because it, I it was in all the initial knowledge. press releases, which was a you know a couple of a year a year ago or something like that. So, um, Peccaries, P E C C A R I E S, native to the Americas, are often confused with the pig family, but they're not. I guess. Because it's saying they're confused with them, they must not be. It has a very pig-like nose. Well, it says... Um, I don't think I could tell the difference between a pig and a javelina and a lineup, but I also <laughs> think I know they're not the same. Yeah. I guess they're not species. Uh, I mean, they're hairies. They're peccaries, not pigs. Ah, interesting. The more you know. So uh, it's the second time I've seen them in... Sedona. I've seen one before wandering around. Uh, this is the first time I saw them on the trail in the daylight, and the uh, it was a group of them. I think it was called. Ooh, the group's an interesting name. A squadron or something. I think it's called a squadron. Ah, Ak, you got your phone. Havelina is going. What's a group of Havelina? I believe it's called a squadron. What's a group of Havelinas? Let me see this. Yeah. I just looked it up. It's a squadron. It's a squadron. squadron. That's cool. I know, isn't it? And you I, could call that a squad. I saw a squadron of javelinas. So, like, javelinas always have squad goals. <laughs> so that spelled with an F? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would have never imagined that javelinas are spelled like a javelin. Like a javelin. Javelina. Javelina. That's the Southwest Hispanic pronunciation. Yes, you're right. Latin based, much like a jalapeno. Oh, you're right. You're right. But it says, you know, it's a medium sized pig like hoofed mammal. But then it says they're confused with the pig family. They're definitely pig like because they're, they're medium sized pig like hoofed mammals. Come on, really, why are you messing with me? They're kind of cute. I mean, yeah. I think it's kind of like a zebra without stripes still isn't a horse. Maybe, yeah. maybe I don't know if it's that close or not. Yeah. It I don't might know. be hard to say. It I was kind of cool to see them. My knowledge pretty quick here. <laughs> I enjoyed the wildlife sighting. I think that's one of the fun parts about mountain biking is having a good uh, exotic wildlife sighting. It's yeah. always enjoying, especially in SoCal where you really don't think of it as a wildlife hab- habitat, and then you see awesome wildlife. Yeah, yeah. I mean, didn't you notice that? The javelina had 38 teeth, not 44 like a pig. I mean. You know, I did. I was, you know, I was counting the teeth and I, it dawned on me. I was like, you know, this only 38 teeth. He's missing some teeth. But I, I'm not up on my zoological classification boundaries and I, I forgot that was item 36 correct well, on also, the classification checklist also peccaries have three toes and not four like pigs uh, i guess I'm the big question i would have is if they can mate with each other <laughs> i guess i just want to go primal <laughs> dude <laughs> to go there well <laughs> i mean that's out. one of the big qualifications for being a species right 
I mean, you have to be able to re- reproduce uh, and have offspring that can reproduce. That's the lion tiger thing, right? Do they? I is mean, that from breeding? Liger? Donkeys and but horses. I don't think ligers can reproduce. I mean, yeah. So you have to have offspring that can fertile mutate. offspring, right? For okay, fertile offspring. Can mules have offspring? I think mules are sterile offspring of yeah, horse and so donkey. They can't, yeah. Hmm. It's not. It, this isn't a firm rule about whether something's a species or not. But I think it's. But also, I think it's hard to trust the the knowledge on this because I think maybe five or ten years ago it was conventional. Under, the conventional understanding was that all dogs are not wolves or re- descended from wolves, and now the conventional understanding is that all dogs are basically wolf descendants. That's a hard thing when you look at a pomeranian to digest. Yeah, yeah. but but also like a hyena. Mm. Yeah, pigs are peccaries are not part of the pig family. Okay. They are distant relatives. So let's get this straight. It can pre- it can be pronounced gigawatt or gigawatt. <laughs> peccaries are not pigs. Peccaries are not pigs. <laughs> Dogs and cats living together. Mass this hysteria. Is, this is the tribal knowledge of the Path podcast here, and we need to make sure that we have it documented. <laughs> that's, that's right. Hashtag javelinas or peccaries, <laughs> not pigs. This is, you know, we're just a little bit of biology signaling here. Yeah. We gotta, I dated a biologist once. <laughs> I learned something new. Well, well, there you go. Peccaries have 38 teeth and pigs have 44. I mean, it's very important. <laughs> you know, I was thrown off because the particular one I was looking at looked like he'd been in a few fights, and he only had thirty six oh, teeth. But it must yeah, have it must have been from a good. You know, a he was a fight. He, he was a he was a scrappy chap. You know, I, it's a tough one. Yeah. Alpha, so alpha male. I, my normally my zoologic identification is much stronger. <laughs> very sharp. You know, it's, it's way I more on point that. than that. But you, you gotta you gotta cut me some slack. I mean, it's, you yeah. I mean, it depends on the dental integrity of the javelina that you're inspecting, right? right? You know, so. I think you probably should have been able to figure it out on a habitat basis. Ah, dang, I know. I'm just, you know my biology teacher <laughs> would be very, very disappointed. I, I mean, I did take AP biology. I mean, this is disgraceful. Did you pass uh, the test? I well, I, it's just not a pass. It's a did, you know, did you get a three or a four or five? I, I believe I got a four, but Ooh, it didn't count okay. for college credit. Well, that's true, but a four is pretty darn good score. It's respectable. It it's, it's respectable. It is. So, but you know, this NH it's quite competitive. It's five or you know, go You're five right. or go home on those that AP tests, true. right? You know, that is true. Uh, I also took AP, but I think it's the only AP class I took. Yeah, I think I passed the test. I don't think my school even offered AP bio. Unacceptable. It really was. Yeah. I had this really cool science teacher who was pretty passionate about science and he plucked me out of the normal science class because I kept getting, he would have these questions on the board and if you answered them, you could leave as soon as you answered them. <laughs> you were bouncing and I, all the time. I, quit, I would like from time to time answer them, you know, and not many of them got answered. And I did like, it was just one of those like, yeah, you understand basic science. You should go in the AP class mm-hmm. thing. Like, yeah. Score. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, uh, oh, wow. Holy crap. I haven't even looked at the time. We're hour 27. Anything else you guys want to talk about? Or do you guys want to wrap it? I know, Tony, you got Listener the... questions. Let's next prepare t- for real show. listener questions. Next we have some good time. ones. We Listeners do have some you good have ones. sent us good questions. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Maybe we, we want to talk about them. Should we dedicate our next show to listener questions? I think we probably have enough material to do that. Yeah, it's probably, probably a sound one, or at least... Uh, 
and we we uh, Sounds expand. Like we and, won't do. Yeah. But. <laughs> or if we do, we'll answer two and and wax poetically about various things. I like trying to wax unpoetically. Can you do that? <laughs> That's true. Is there unpoetic waxing? <laughs> it's, What's the opposite of poetic? I, uh, maybe uh, awkwardly. I don't know. The answer is that poetry is not a binary and there is no opposite. <laughs> just kidding. I just came up with that, though. That is pretty good. <laughs> I just watched some show. Non-binary? On Netflix <laughs> is, is a high school kids where binary is basic. Oh, man. It's alliterative. <laughs> it <is. And> <laughs> basic, that's like out of vogue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, we did want to just make one clarification. If you're trying to find Ock on Instagram, his Instagram name is E underscore, underscore A-U-K. That is true. We realize that many listeners may not know how to pronounce his nickname of Ock, <laughs> uh, even though his last name is not spelled A-U-K. That is true. It's uh, confusing. So E underscore Ock is, is Ock. That's true. Tawny is Tawny Walling. I'm Nathan Heronin. H-E-R-O-N-E-N and A-T-H-A-N, not O-N or E-N or A-N or E-N, whatever. Yeah. O-N, I get O-N a lot. Anyway, uh, that's where you can find us on uh, on Instagram. Feel free to reach out to us with questions every time, anytime. People do frequently. Um, it's always an easy way to communicate these days, getting easier and easier, or at least more familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, always remember to drop into the bike shop. Oh, we had some guys from engineers from detroit or something that dropped by i heard that i yeah. wasn't there if that's true thanks De- for visiting though engineers yeah, yeah detroit guys thanks thanks um and all sorts of great comments like glad yeah. glad you guys enjoy the show and we'll keep doing it you keep listening um there's someone out there right now just like <laughs> i don't enjoy the show and even that we'd like to hear <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know drop us that line be yeah. candid I know. We're glad we like I enjoy candy. the show. Presumptive, <laughs> presumptive I, shred signaling. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and if you like old school email, you know, podcast at thepathbikeshop dot com, um, and check out the website for events. Val does a great job of keeping all the events up to date. All sorts of uh, cool ways to try new bikes and all sorts of stuff. So. I find it emotionally crushing that it felt appropriate for you to put old school and email in the same I sentence know, right there. I thought that. I said that. You know, I, I, that I feel like it's I heard not... you say it, and I was like, those two don't belong together. And then I was like, it is. they do belong together. <laughs> Between texting, Instagram, uh, direct message on website. I feel sliding like, into DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Uh-huh. I feel like email is now, might as well just put a stamp on it. Hope for the best, right? I'm going to get a stamp. <laughs> it, like a stamp. Like, you know how people have different pictures that go on every email? Like maybe a picture of you and your dog if you're yeah. a real estate mm-hmm. agent or something. Mm-hmm. What if I stamp? A stamp. You know, I watched the... Uh, a forever stamp, by the way. <laughs> I watched the the show, uh, the movie, uh, You Got Mail. I think that was like 96. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, Tom Hanks Thanks. and Meg Ryan. Yeah. Don't you wish that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan could star in every movie together? Like when Mary met Sally? No, that was uh, that was Billy Crystal. Dang it! No, Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail were both Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Okay, Sleepless in Seattle. Both both painfully adorable movies. Which one was the one where Meg Ryan like faked it in the restaurant? That, that was movie? when Harry met Sally with Billy Got Crystal. It. 
That's the best. I need to, rem- I need to keep that straight because I use that as a burn sometimes. Oh. Like when someone seems a little overconfident with their prowess as a man, mm. <laughs> I like to be like, evoke that. Did you ever see when Harry met Sally? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Boy, that, yeah. Quotes from that roll frequently at the Ock fam home. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's a good one. It is a good one. Have you seen the outtakes on that? The outtakes no, I'm of sure Harry great. Man. Billy Crystal um, uh, doing an impersonation of the Godfather on their drive <laughs> yeah. from, from college out to the... It's pretty dang impressive. Ironic enough, there is a Godfather in, uh, section um, in uh, You Got Mail. Yes. Where he's explaining the Godfather. She's like, yes. what's the men's yes. obsession with the Godfather? <laughs> like it's they answered everything. It's the I Ching. The it's I Ching. The- <laughs> <laughs> right. What do I pay, take on vacation? Exactly. Leave the gun, take the cannoli. cannoli. That's exactly. Around the time those movies came out, it was right about the time I had the biggest crush on Meg Ryan. Back in those, like, 25, 30, what is that, 25 years oh, ago? Oh, yeah. I had a big crush on Meg Ryan in the uh, City of Angels movie. Yeah. She was the doctor lady. They mm. killed her in the end. Spoiler alert. Old movie. Can it be a spoiler if it's a movie from the 90s? She was also in um, Courage Under Fire. Oh, that's right. Oh, what was her name? Oh, God, we are so off topic. The Doors, maybe, too? Was that her in The Doors? No, Sliding Doors was Gwyneth Paltrow. No, the Doors... Like the Jim Morrison movie? Oh, I'm not sure. She was in Top Gun too, right? No, that was... Um, no, Kelly McGinnis. No, I, Kelly I McGinnis. suck at this game. <laughs> I might as well have just had a crush on Hollywood, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I had a crush on her too. <laughs> I had a crush on her too, yeah. A Kelly McGinnis in Luckily, Top I got Gun. over Hollywood. <laughs> Kelly McGinnis in Top Gun. Oh yeah, she was like no, ten- no. You're talking about Tom Tom Cruise's girl. I'm talking about Goose's girl. Oh, that was Meg Ryan. Oh, boom, God, boom. <laughs> you're right. That I never, is, I never like the, the lead of girl. I like the other one. Oh, that's oh, right. Man. Take me to bed or lose me forever. Oh my god! Yeah, I, you know what? And to your point, like when I was like nineteen, I just wanted someone to say that to me. <laughs> Give us your big stud. Take me to bed or lose me forever. Show me the way home. Uh, talking about email being, <laughs> oh man, old fashioned, <laughs> old school. All right, duders, we're dating ourselves. All right, since we are dating ourselves, which not not in like a self-dating sort of way, um, for Nathan and Ock, this is Tawny saying, love the bike you ride.